Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. That's going to be our our text this evening. Colossians 3 verses 12 through 15 we're going to read uh, here in just a moment. And the whole, the whole message is entitled, The New You. And I'm going to need this. Uh, so I had an epiphany recently, probably about six and a half months ago. Well, maybe, maybe about a year ago. Um, I wanted to have a new me. I was getting closer to 30 at the time. And I thought, you know, I'm approaching, you know, the, the over-the-hill mark. And I wanted to kind of look like a stud muffin or continue looking like a stud muffin. And uh, so I decided to start taking my, my physique and my physical shape more seriously. And, you know, some of you guys are ripping me, saying that I, I'm, I, you know, I need to stop losing weight. I'm not losing any more weight. I'm just getting ripped is what's happening here uh, underneath, underneath this, uh, these, these clothes. No, but I had, all right, so I, I thought of this idea on what I would like to look like if, um, if I had a new me. And this, I, I, have a, I have a picture I want to show you. This is what I would say I want the new me to look like. And uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's kind of gross. That's, that's, that's not the new me. Um, but here's the actual new me. This is, this is me, my face cut out on a, a guy named Shanti's uh, body. So no, that, 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 that image in my mind is what kind of got me going in the right direction. So all right, you can take the picture down now. Um, so let me... Uh, that's, we all have goals. We all ha- innately have a desire to have a new us, um, a new physique, a new goal. Um, when the pastor's getting ready to read, that's exactly what Paul is dealing with. He's addressing an issue with the Christians that they wanted to have a holier life. So in Colossians 3 is where we're going to be. Um, and so let's, let's uh, I don't want to read in the passage just quite yet, but I'm going to give you some background. So well, this is even funnier. This is kind of going in line with the, the whole illustration of me wanting to get buff. I, I talked Pastor Tony into getting a gym membership with me. I did. I talked. We did. We got it. We got, we're going to Metro Health down in Pickerington, uh, uh, not too far from here. And it's about, you know, 15-minute drive, and we get ripped together. That's what we're doing, me and Pastor. We're going to be the most in-shape pastors you've ever seen in your life. So, no, actually, we just look like a bunch of idiots out there. We have no clue what we're doing. Um, it's really embarrassing when you have really strong women show you up at the gym. I mean, these women are bench-pressing like... Our body weight, you know, I mean, they're repping it out, and uh, it's just intimidating, but anyway, um, so we're, we, we desire a new us, but how it relates to this particular pas- passage is because um, the, the Christians were frustrated, and, and Paul was addressing these believers because they were trying so hard to change themselves into more holy, godly people, and they kept failing miserably. See, what they would do is they were trying to abide by the strict Old Testament law, but they kept failing at it. They felt like the harder they tried to do what was right, the more messed up they became. Sort of like me trying to join the gym and being showed up by these Hulk Hogan, you know, Randy Savage-like women. Snap into his limb, Jim. Oh, yeah. You know, that's that. those women are out of control. It's just embarrassing. That's embarrassing to me. But anyway, um, I, I, I think of that, how frustrated I get when I, I look at these pictures of what I want in my head and I don't ever get it. And it's sort of like what, these, what was going on in a, in a physical sense, what was going on with the, with the believers in this passage. So Paul writes this letter to a group of frustrated and confused believers. And in the passage, we're getting ready to read, we're, he, I'm, jump, I'm jumping right into the middle of his instructions. And he's teaching them the importance of putting off their former lifestyle and motives and to try to begin to put on the new way of living. And, and Paul, in our text, begins really to anchor down and spend some time clarifying what it truly means to put on the new you or the new man. And you can say, basically, it's like having a new you. 
So, in, in fact, if you were here, how many of you all were in the service during the worship hour with Pastor Tony's message this morning? Raise your hand. Just want to get a visual. Awesome. Okay. This is going to help me because what he preached on is going to be, uh, I guess, a good illustration of what I'm going to be talking about tonight. Remember the glass jar? For those of you who were not here uh, this morning, you were serving, perhaps, in a different ministry. He had a, a whole bunch of vessels, he called them, up here on stage. And he had this red Kool-Aid. Hey, Kool-Aid. Okay. Um, he had Kool-Aid up here, and uh, he was trying to illustrate um, what it's like if we're filled with God, but yet we have these issues in our life, sin issues. We have pride, anger, all these fleshly issues in our life. And we're human. We're going to struggle with it. But what people see on the outside, because all they can see is our life, is the pride, the anger, the issues that we struggle with. And so he was basically saying Jesus is the only one that can cleanse us from those things. And so what, if, you're not, if you're not paying real close attention, you can get confused by thinking, well, I can work harder at trying to make myself more holy. I, I, can, I can work harder at not cussing, or I can work harder at not, you know, you know blowing my lid every time somebody gets mad at me. And you, you, the harder you work, the more you try, the better you're going to be. Wrong approach. You're going to fail just like these believers failed. You're never going to make yourself more holy by, the harder, by, by working harder or by putting more attention to things that you, on your own. And so Paul was trying to correct this mistake of moralism. And, and so let's begin reading in uh, verse 12. And uh, we're going to follow through all the way through the passage and then we'll pray. So he starts off and he says, now mind you, I'm throwing you right in the middle of the passage of dealing with this issue. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any. Now, mind you, the context is in the church. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, you need to put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. Verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also... You are called in one body, and be ye thankful. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to do this Bible study, this, this message, Lord, that you prepared for us this evening. And you kind of laid the foundation for us, already drawing our attention to the reality that we so desperately need Jesus. We need him to live this life. We need him to, to create a, a new us Lord, we're not satisfied with where we are at spiritually. And if any of us are content and are satisfied, I pray you will wake us up this evening. I pray you will shake us to the point where we're saying, I want more of Christ in my life. I want to be different, different than I am now so that I can radiate the glory of Jesus Christ to the people I work with and the lost people in my family. I pray, God, you will bless this message and give us illumination. Help us to understand what Paul is teaching us in this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so these believers were in a perplexing dilemma. And, and I believe most of us, if we're to be honest in, to our, ourselves, we, would, we could admit that we can relate to something about this passage. We've all been there. We felt frustrated about living a holy life. Um, maybe you've tried to uh, stop sinning a, or stop committing a certain sin that you repetitively commit. Um, whether it's your anger or you're doubting God because of a situation that's happening in your life and you're wondering, is God really going to pull through? And you're shaking your mind, I know God's going to pull through, but it's this, this tension going on. Well, there are some of us that in here that are truly wanting to grow in our spiritual lives because we, we can understand that Christ has made us new. And, and like me, I, I, I want to be having a new image, a physique or whatever. However, I'm sure that there are some of you in this room that are kind of the opposite. 
You don't really want to pursue a new you. Um, you don't want to pursue a new transformed life because you kind of like the life you got now. I mean, you're saved maybe or maybe you're not saved. And you're just kind of liking how things are going around. Everything's going great. No problems. You got a good job. But let me ask you something for just a moment. I want you to consider something. Everyone in this room as well to the person in here who's not a Christian perhaps and you're just kind of thinking you're, you're content. What happens if you, if, if you lose everything in your life? What happens if your life, now I'm not saying it will, okay, but what happens if your life slowly begins to unravel by the seams? You lose your job, or you lose your car, or you, you know, whatever else you find your significance in. It may sound absolutely crazy, but what if Jesus really can provide you with a completely better and transformed you? Now think about that. Just what if? What if this is real? then you're probably wondering, okay, how exactly does Jesus transform me? And why should I let him? And here's, the, here's my answer. In this passage, Paul seems to be raising up this, this huge banner and waving it in our faces. And it says across the banner, we all must eagerly pursue new life transformation. And here's the reasons why. I'm going to give them to you quickly. I'm going to give you the th- my three points and then we're going to move through them very, very quickly, okay? First point, the first thing you find in this passage is that the first reason why we should pursue a new transformed life because the, of the provision from Christ that's seen in verse 12. That's the first thing. We're going to talk about the provision from Christ. I'm going to show you this also because of the person of Christ. And then lastly, I'm going to talk to you about the peace in Christ, all right? So let's look at the first one real quick. The provision from Christ. Look at verse 12. This is very interesting. It's all right here in this text, and he says the reason why you should pursue a new transformed life is because you've, Jesus Christ has provided you with an unparalleled ability to be transformed. You can be totally different if you can understand what he's saying in this passage. Verse 12, he says this, put on therefore, comma, as the elect of God, comma, holy and beloved. I want you to do me a favor, do yourself a favor, this might help you. Circle the words holy and the word beloved. I'm going to talk to you about that for just a minute. First, the first observation I caught from this passage is that he's saying to us, you know, there has been a drastic, dramatic change in our lives. Now, for me, it's not exterior, okay? I don't have, when you got saved, you, you look exactly the same. I was a stud muffin before I got saved. I'm a stud muffin now. Everything's the same on the exterior. Um, but there's definitely been a change in my heart and the way I live, the way I act, the way I talk. The way I'm, the, my desires, my appetite. So what he's talking about here is something that happens inside of your soul. We are made holy. Now the reason why I find that interesting is because that's the same word that is used to describe saints. Paul is saying, when Jesus saved me, he made me holy. This is why it's important. You went from being a sinner to a saint. You are no longer classified as a sinner. You are now biblically called a saint that struggles with sin. It's important you understand that because your whole identity has changed. You're not the same person you were before you met Christ. And if that's true, if that one reality is true, that ought to create a different mindset. You you do have the power to overcome anything in your life. You literally have the power in you because you're not the same. See, what you once were held down with with chains of bondage or cussing or lying or adultery or whatever the issues might have been, you now have been set free because Christ has given you the greatest resource available. 
It's himself. He made you new. All right, so that, that's critical. He's calling you holy. He's trying to get these Christians to realize, yeah, you, you have an incredible, untapped gold mine inside of you, and he's giving you everything you need to live differently, to be a different person. It's Jesus in you. You're holy. You're a saint. By the way, did you notice that Paul didn't say that they did anything to make this happen? But rather, it was something that was done for them. Jesus provided a change in me that I could not do for myself. I went from being, I say this often, being in a gang to becoming a a Christian who's passionate about Jesus Christ, who I'm behind a pulpit. Behind a pulpit. I'm behind a, I was in Florida just not too long ago, and I went to my, I went through my old neighborhood um, just passing by. And I'm telling you, it is unreal what God has done in my life. Unreal. He has made me new. I was a horrible person. You would not believe me if I sat here and described you what I look like just, just not too long ago, less than 15 years ago. The, how I looked was different. I mean, he's changing me. And he's changing you. At least he should be changing. You should let, there should be something going on in your heart. Okay? So he's making you, well, you are made, past tense, holy. The second thing he points out is that you are beloved. This is a, fun, a funny term. The word beloved is an ancient Eastern culture term that is used as an endearing term. It's like a father. Think of a, a relationship between a father and a son. This, this word beloved is the same word that a father would say to his son. You are my beloved child. You've heard that terminology. God said that about his son, Jesus Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's very endearing personal term. So what's that mean? Paul is trying to get you to realize not only are you holy, not only are you made a saint from a sinner to a saint, but you also are adopted into this family relationship God is your father. Now, we say that so trivially, but it's very powerful. He's your father, and that, 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 that carries a lot of weight. You know, I'm coming from an Italian family, and, you know, the father figure, the nobly don, you know, he's the, the head honcho of the family. He's got everything you need, everything you need. So Paul is emphasizing right away that the way, way we ought to pursue a new transformed life in Christ is because of we, everything we need is provided from Christ. And now another reason I mentioned earlier is that Paul urges us to pursue a new transformed life because of the person of Christ. So, number one, you got everything you need in Jesus, all right? He's in you. You have the capability to be different. Now, let me pause before I go any further. Do you know why I'm sharing this message with you? A couple reasons. One, this is a message that I prepared in Florida, and we didn't have any time to prepare a message this week, so I'm going to preach this message to you. But second of all, it's because if we can get our heads wrapped around this powerful truth, we will be a different church. You know, we are a very passionate church, obviously, about reaching people. But can I be honest with you? I would rather, now listen carefully what I'm saying. I would rather pause, literally pause on evangelism so that you can grow in your understanding of how God is changing you. There needs to be an awakening in your heart. Before you become all robotic and become evangelistic, evangelistic, robot, evangelism, evangelism. No, pause the robot. And let's talk about what's happening in your heart. Jesus is changing you. Do you believe that? If he's changing you, then there ought to be a craving to want him to continue to. You ought to want more change. And you know what that's going to take? Absolute humility. 
For all of us in this room that struggle with pride, and I'm raising my hand, yeah, guess what? There has to be a humbleness about ourselves. We have to say, God, I want you to change me. I don't like how I am right now. I want to be the real gospel man that you've created me to be. I want my marriage to be like the gospel. I want my, my, my family, the way I, I treat my children to be gospel-centered. I want the way I worship you to be gospel-centered. You know, that's gonna, that has to be something you crave. And if not, and all you think is evangelism, or all you think is, is you know, come into a building and just be robotic, then you missed it. I want you to hit the pause button. I'd rather you quit every stinking ministry in this church to where you get this principle. It's about your relationship with Christ first. Then everything else will fall into place. Now, he's changing us, all right? We have everything we need in Christ. We, we ought to be different people. But the second, person, the second thing I want to show you is this whole idea of Jesus being in you, the person of Christ. Now, let's continue reading. In verses 12, he continues. He says, not only are you holy and beloved, but he goes and lists these seven different character traits. He says, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, by the way, that word meekness, it means self-control. You, you control yourself. You don't, lose your, your, you don't blow your gasket over things, okay? Um, long-suffering, forbearing one another, which means holding up other people, forgiving one another. I mean, these are, this is a lot of things. There's seven character traits. Now, when I read these seven characters, this thing that, the thought that came to my mind is, what do all these things have in common? Well, what's the point? Why would he go on listing these character traits? Nobody in this whole church can live out these seven character traits, I mean, you can't do that. You're not always going to be long-suffering and forbearing people. Someone in this church is going to make you mad tonight because they're going to say something stupid or something. I don't know. Or is it, so, so what are you going to do? How do you live like this? Well, Christ is in you. This is what he's saying. He's trying to illustrate this. Here's the, here's the point. They portray the very image of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one who has ever possessed all of these seven character traits in the fullest capacity. So here Paul is telling us to put on all of these character traits. The question that comes to my mind is how? How do we put on Jesus Christ? How do we do that? Well, that's precisely the point. You cannot do it yourself. All right, you can't determine to make yourself more you know, holy like these believers are doing. You're not wiping off the little thing like he did, the little jar and saying pride, no more, or anger, no more. You can't do that. You're going to struggle with it. Some, there has to be a supernatural power that's going to change you. And by the way, this is so true. If you struggle with anger, if you ask Jesus to help you with your anger, when you wake up in the morning, listen to me, when you wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I need you. Oh, I need Okay, don't sing it, but you can say it, all right? Jesus, I need you to help me not be angry with this person today. What you're relying on is a Holy Spirit power that's going to invade your life to give you the strength so where you're not angry with that person. I'm serious. Now, whatever your sin is, you've got to get it. You have the power in you. Now, let's, let me walk you through this about how the per, these personifications, this whole, these seven character traits here. The new man is not simply a new you. It's Jesus in you. Boy, that ought to be on Twitter tonight. That's serious. Don't do it. I was a joke, all right? All right. The new man isn't simply a new you. It's, it's Jesus in you. Colossians chapter 1, same book, just the previous, a couple chapters ahead of time. 
In verse 27, Paul was trying to explain to these Christians that were so frustrated and so confused at trying to live harder, holier lives. And he challenged them by saying this. He says, the reason why I'm saved and the purpose of my existence and the reason why God changed me is to make known what the riches of the glory of this, ma- this mystery among the Gentiles. So what's the mystery? Here's the mystery. It's the mystery that Jesus Christ is in you, and he's the hope of glory. You see, the glory and the splendor of our being transformed is that Jesus is in us. Exclamation point. That's what's so spectacular about living the new you. Jesus is wanting to flesh himself out of your life. Oh, it doesn't stop there either. He mentions one last character trait. It's the eighth character trait, and I would consider it the crowning jewel of it. And it's this, the completeness of Christ enriches us. Verse 14, let me read it. And above all these things, I want you to put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. You you see, there is one incredibly, this is an incredibly massive character trait that, that Paul really drills home as the greatest one. It's love. And he describes love as the bond of perfectness. Also, the word perfectness means completeness. The bond of completeness. You're made complete. It's the, it's the last link on the chain that completes the chain. Colossians chapter 2, the previous chapter, he says this. You are complete in Jesus. Think about that. Just, just think about that. Do you know why we sin? Because we believe that whatever that issue is, is going to provide us with what we're lacking. That's why we sin. That's why, that's why I'm, I get angry. I keep bringing up anger. It's the easiest one. That's something I struggle with, I guess. All right. So I, I get angry. You know why? Because I want to make it right. I want to rectify the situation. You did that to me, and I'm going to get you back. What am I saying? God, I, I, I don't need you to help me get this right. I can get it right. When Jesus said, wait on me. Wait on me and I'll rectify the situation. See, it's, 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 it's slapping God in the face saying, I, I got this. That's why sin is such a heinous crime. Because you're, you're saying, God, I got this. You stay out of it. I'll take care of it. And we try to pursue fulfillment or completeness for the situation on our own. When I'm trying to convince you guys and myself, according to this passage, Jesus will complete you. He will complete you. All right, so... All right, I'll, I'll give you a funny illustration. So, how many of you guys like Florida State University? Please, somebody raise your hand. Just one person? No? Okay, they got two. Oh, that's great. That did me in. All right, Florida State University, also known as the National Championships of 2000, Champions of 2014. So, well, 13, I guess. So, my, my proud statement is that I am a Florida State fan. Of course, you know that, hopefully, by now. And uh, I am very excited about my Florida State Seminoles. They're not the criminals. They're the Seminoles, just for the footnote. And uh, we have a great team. Now, this year, in particular, we were able to put together a phenomenal team, and we actually won the whole thing by beating Auburn, beat the pants off of Auburn in that game, uh, and it was a wonderful game. So, I remember when they won the national championship, we, I was just so excited, we were just pumped up, I was, I was at a friend's house, I was drinking Pepsi and just had a blast, and, and I remember just thinking, yeah, we are the champions, we finally did this thing, now I can go to church and brag to all my Ohio State fans that Florida State is for real, you know, and so... I've been saying it since I was, I've been here that they were going to win the national championship, and they did. I'm a prophet. I am. I can see the future, folks. No, anyway, but I was pumped. Now, you know, it's funny every time I tell this story is that I use the phrase, 
we won. Can I tell you a secret? I didn't do jack. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I just sat on the couch drinking a nice cold Pepsi and enjoyed the game. And according to Pastor Tony, he makes me, whenever he tells an illustration like this, I feel like a, like a lazy man just sitting on the, ca- you know, the couch. He says, well, you didn't do anything. Well, it's true. I didn't do anything to win the game, but I, I guess I feel like I own them. You know, we did it. You know, we, we accomplished the game. And, but I didn't even break a sweat the whole game. You know, I didn't. I'm not, even in, I'm not even in the team. I don't go inside the locker room. I wasn't given a national championship ring. But as it relates to new life transformation in Christ... I am in Christ. He is in me. I may not be wearing a national championship ring on my finger, but I am wearing in my life right now all eight of these character traits that Paul is describing. I do have the power to love the unlovable. I do have the power to forgive people that have done me wrong. I do have the power to overcome anger or lust or pride. It's in me. Jesus is in me. I therefore have the power that all that I need to overcome any sin that I struggle with is in me now. It's all there. Say, where was it? Is it coming from something you've done? Have you, have you prayed more? Have you? No, I did nothing. Nothing. All I'm doing is saying I believe this powerful truth that Jesus is in me. And if that's true then I have everything that I need to live a holy life. Man, I wish we could just, if that, so basically this, this is an old cliche I've said a lot. Jesus plus nothing, none of your efforts, none of your agenda, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, what happens is when I believe this, it creates a desire to want to live holy, doesn't it? So it it creates this desire for obedience. It creates this desire for, for, for holy living. And so what happens is I naturally want to, you know, fulfill my role as a husband or I want to be a good father figure, a good pastor. I'm going to want to obey. I, I don't want to disobey. But it, that obeying Christ does not make me holy. It's the byproduct of me being holy. It's, it, you get that? The order is very important there. Holiness creates obedience. Obedience does not create holiness. All right. The last thing, for those of you who are not yet convinced that Jesus really will help you overcome every area of your life or every sin in your life, and he has trying to, he's, he's made you new, I want to show you this last thing. Because of the peace of Christ in you, because of the peace in Christ, you have the power to live a new life. Now, I really want to notice two things about this, all right? First, notice that Jesus will give us peace that will rule our hearts. In the text we just read, the last verse I read you, it says that the peace of God will rule in your hearts. Now, that word rule literally means to act like an umpire, all right? An umpire governs the game of baseball, all right? He's the one who calls the shots. You're either safe or you're out. And a new, transform, a new life transformation from Jesus is the only place you will ever be able to find peace that governs your life. If everything goes wrong, at the end of the day, peace says to you, you're safe. You're safe. Don't worry about it. That's why you can take, you can take, you can talk to some believers, you can, you can you take any example from the, in the Bible, you can look at their life and you see the whole world, you can rip their whole world away from them. They can lose their families, they can lose their careers, their money, and yet they still have an anchored peace that enables them to enjoy life. You know, I taught home builders this morning, and we were talking about what happens if you start removing things in your life. And I, the reason why I said that is, you can tell where your joy really is. If you start removing those things that you 
you find joy in. For instance, if I find absolute joy in my relationship with my wife, like if that's the source, and my wife is awesome, we have a great relationship. But if, if something happens, okay, which I don't, I say this, I, I just use it as an illustration, but if something happens, physically, illness, or whatever, my relationship is going to be strong in Christ. Because my relationship with Christ is the very fiber that holds my wife and I together. So if God does something, his plans are greater than ours. If something happens, I want to have an anchored peace that when you guys look at me or when you guys look at her, you'll know that God is for real and that there's something glorious about Jesus Christ in me. And there's a peace that you can have that you do have. If you believe in Jesus Christ and he's real in your life. You don't have to have these, these shadows or as Jonathan Edwards puts it, these beams. We oftentimes look at the beams of the sunlight and we think, oh, there's the light that we need. When really we should be looking at the sun. He's the source. Not the beams, not these temporal joys, but the, the sun. He's, Jesus Christ is the ultimate source of joy. And by the way, if you remove something from your life and you crumble... All that proves to you is that you had an idol in your heart. And your idol was that thing. It's, it's hard to say, but it's very honest. It's very real. I'm not saying you can't enjoy those things, but don't let them be the source of your joy. The peace of God is in you. He's the only one that can keep you strong. So you can lose it all and still have peace. There's a lot of Christians in India right now that are literally being killed. Husbands are being taken from their wives Heads are being cut off because of Jesus. And the wives are standing up preaching the gospel of Jesus and saying, Jesus is my peace. How can that be, church? Because Jesus is their peace. It's not just a Bible verse to them. It's real. All right. So Paul is saying the peace of Christ governs and rules our, their lives. And they all could ever, they, I mean, they could ever, they could lose their entire existence, all of the familiarity, and still have peace because it's all wrapped in Jesus. I'm going to close with this. A short, pithy statement in this text. Paul makes this statement at the end of the thing. And he says, and by the way, be ye thankful. And I would say this is the, this is, this is the, the linchpin of the whole thing. Peace, or the peace Jesus offers us always produces joy. I love ending on the topic of joy. We all want joy. We all want peace. All right? But the peace of Jesus will produce joy in your life. So the question I want to ask you with tonight, and this is really the evaluation question of the night. Do I really have joy in my life? So if you don't, then there's a good chance, church, that you're either frustrated like these Colossian believers trying so hard to live out their new life on their own by their own efforts. And it's frustrating you. And you have no joy because you're frustrated with this Christian life. Oh, God's looking down in anger. That's a big problem that we have, don't, isn't it? Some of you guys, when you sin, I'm going to say this. When you sin, is God angry with you? Is God looking down with anger and wrath on you when you sin? No, he's not. Not saying that gives you a right to sin, but he loves you. He doesn't look down at lightning bolts and going to strike you dead. He wants you to love him. You just are too blind right now to realize that he is everything you need. 
And he's being patient. He's being long-suffering to us. And I think that if we got that, he's not an angry father looking down with disgust at us when we do wrong. I think it'll change the way we approach God. According to this passage, joy is the natural outflow of peace. So the more I read scripture, the more people I meet, and I become increasingly convinced that the antidote for all of humanity is simply Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Therefore, we must eagerly pursue new life transformation that is exclusively found in Jesus. You'll, you'll have a new life, church. We will have a new life. We will be completely new. We will be a powerful church of, 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 of the gospel. We will look like the gospel when we're not at church, at the church building. Whenever we have this absolute confidence that Jesus is in us. He's going to provide us with everything we need. His person, the personification of Jesus, he'll, he'll naturally flesh himself out of us. And there's going to be an anchored peace in us if we're willing to let him continue to change us. And if you're stagnant in your spiritual life, this ought to be a wake-up call for you because you're missing out on something phenomenally glorious. Your eyes are on the beams, not the sun. Get your eyes on the sun, and your life will change drastically.